0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to finish the chapter today before we take communion. And you remember a couple of weeks ago we were looking at this chapter and Jesus was... Uh, really upbraiding the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because they were so focused on their traditions uh, that they failed to uh, consider the commandments of God. They, they, they got more into their rituals and, the, and their own rules and regulations rather than looking at God's word. And Jesus uh, upbraided them and he called them hypocrites. He said because they were drawing near to him with their mouth and they were honoring him with their lips... their heart was far from him, and in vain they worshipped him, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And it's never a good idea to do that. Uh, Something happens when a person has some kind of law. (laughs) They tend to make more laws, and if you're not careful, pretty soon it becomes many. And, And God's laws, really, he narrowed it down to two things. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And within those two things, really, they they comprise all of the Ten Commandments. Because it's really all about God first, our relationship, our attitude toward him. And then, secondarily, our attitude toward men, toward others around us. And, and so the Ten Commandments were broken up into two tablets. And they were basically broken up in that fashion. Our relationship with God first, and then our relationship with man and the things that come about in that um, that relationship and then finally we we get into this passage in chapter 15 beginning in verse 21 and i labeled this morning's message uh, great faith great faith because jesus would commend a gentile woman a syrophoenician woman up in the modern day what you and i would call lebanon And he would admonish her for her great faith. And she had great faith because she was persistent. And she believed that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And she had heard about Jesus even being far away as Tyre and Sidon, where she lived. You know, sometimes faith, and even great faith, is represented in different ways, shown in different ways. Some people hear the word of God and and they demonstrate that great faith by just being patient, waiting upon God. For the Bible says, right, that uh, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And think about that. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. So I hope for it, But also, I'm given something, and this is a gift of God, this faith that we have. We we hope for it, but yet there's something that he does within us that gives us this confidence that he's actually going to do it. The evidence of things not yet seen. Do you see that? So it's the substance of things to hope for. I'm hoping for it, but my hope hopefully is not uh, misguided, and hopefully my faith is not misguided. But if I'm hoping for the right things and I'm believing in him, at times he gives us the evidence of it before he gives it to us. And it's that still, quiet confidence in your heart. I know God's going to do this. I don't know when or how. And therein lies the rub, because if you're like me, I'm not always patient. Anybody patient here? Yeah, amen. I think we can all say amen to that, sister. Right? We're not. We're not usually very patient. And that's where our faith is tested. And sometimes, you know, and I've experienced this myself, where God has spoken to me years in advance. And I didn't know how to accomplish the thing that he had spoken to me. I didn't have any way of doing it. I didn't know how to do it. And so I just, I'm like, okay, Lord, I've got nothing to do but wait upon you and let you do whatever you're going to do because I can't get there. I don't know how to do it. And then he does it, and sometimes it's years later. Sometimes it's weeks later, months later. We just never know, because there's more to this than just God giving us things. There's a process in faith, isn't it? When we put our faith in him, there's a, there's a trial, there's a crisis inside of trust and obedience. And it takes time. And only God knows what each of us need and how long it's going to take. For some, for some of you, you, the Lord can speak something, and you're ready to receive whatever it is that he has promised to you. In others, he gives us the hope, he gives us the unction, if you will, that inner thing that he does, and we don't see it yet. And we have to wait, we have to pray, we have to fight through it. And then we have to, and, and, and during all of that discourse and all of that emotional stuff, what's happening? We're growing. Because God is more concerned about your growth than he is just the means. So the means don't justify the ends with God. And this woman, she was very persistent. And I love that about her. She wasn't going to accept no, as we will see. And yet other people wait patiently they don't say a word and they just quietly wait either way it's great faith at work one is resting and and one is more like you've got to do something because i am dying i i can't i can't go on another moment lord and god can meet us there too but it's the, the confidence the the focus is always on him isn't it? it's never upon us And that's why it's great faith, because whenever I put faith in myself or faith in man, I'm gonna be disappointed. But when I put my faith in God, I will never be disappointed. He's never disappointed me. He's made me wait till the eleventh hour. Actually, sometimes eleven colon fifty nine. The minute before midnight, where I'm about ready to jump, and he's like, Don't do it. I've got a plan. And then when he finally comes through, what a joy it is. So let's read verses 21 through 28. Again, Lord willing, we'll finish the chapter, but let's just take a look at this first. So notice in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, notice she's not even a Jew, she's a Gentile, came from that region, she cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Underline that word, that phrase, son of David, very important. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Actually, underline, O Lord, son of David, because this is amazing for a Gentile to say. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And I often wonder just the the pathos that she had in those words. You know, because sometimes you you can say a, a phrase... And it can mean one thing, and you can put an inflection on it. It changes the whole candor of the line. Does that make sense? It changes everything. I mean, I wonder, you know, as we read the Bible, I wonder how she said it. I mean, with with her tears coming out of her eyes and like holding on and said, Lord, help me. I've got nowhere to go. You are my last resort. What was it? She said, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said unto her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Do you see that? Just her, her desperation. I've known in my life, and you've known it too, that God responds to desperation. When I I think I can figure it all out, I usually try to, and and sometimes I'm successful, or at least I think I am. But the Lord loves to show up, and he loves to minister to his people, especially when they are in a strait. Have you been in a strait? Everybody nod their head because you have. You went through COVID. COVID. (laughs) you went through a lot of shenanigans yes and so we and and that's just to name one thing but let's go back now to verse 21 and then we'll continue on notice that jesus went out from there and departed to the region of tyre and sidon now tyre and sidon is an area i'm going to see if i can do this here um over on the Sea of Galilee on the western side was where Jesus was. And so he goes up, to, up north and west to the Tyre, uh, which is right on the coast of the Mediterranean, which is about 35 miles northwest of Capernaum. And he even went up as far as Sidon, we believe. And, um, and so this journey um, that Jesus had done puzzled has puzzled many because he's never done this before. He's never left Israel and gone up there. And remember, this is around the time when Israel had pretty much wholesale rejected him. And so maybe it was his way of saying, you know what, I'm gonna take a break from this area and I'm gonna go minister to a people that have never known me, that don't know me, that don't have the oracles of God. I'm going to go up and I'm going to minister to them. And so he goes up, and then behold, a woman of Canaan, she came from that region. She cried out to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I love mercy, don't you? When God withholds from us what we do deserve, that's mercy. And then he gives to us what we don't deserve, and that's grace. Mercy and grace. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have, you know, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. So this woman was a Canaanite. She was a woman that back in the Old Testament, remember before uh, Israel came into the Promised Land, what did God tell the Israelites? Because the Canaanites in the land of Canaan, modern-day Israel now, they were exceedingly sinners, giving themselves over to pagan idolatry, uh, you know, sacrificing their children to false gods? And what did God say to this group of people in Canaan when Israel crossed the, 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 uh, the Jordan River, to, to go into the promised land, what did God tell Moses to tell the people? He said this, it's in Deuteronomy 20, he says, But of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And Why? lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. So this was one of those women. She grew up in Canaan. She was a Canaanite. But she was a Gentile who seemed to be speaking the same language as Jesus. She probably knew Hebrew using a title that she thought would grab his attention because it wasn't a Gentile phrase that she was using. Oh Lord, son of David. That wasn't a Gentile phrase. That was a very Jewish phrase. And maybe she thought she could grab his attention by because of the Jewishness of the phrase she was using. And what was this Gentile woman doing using a Jewish title? Son of David. Some have purported that This woman may have been faking that she was a Jew. It's very possible. Knowing that she was a Gentile, knowing that the Jews looked down upon the Gentiles, she probably, maybe she dressed herself up to look like a Jewish person. And maybe she spoke a little of Hebrew so she knew how to speak to him and hoping that it would grab his attention. Because what mother or father wouldn't do anything to help their son or daughter? Wouldn't she do anything? especially if your son or your daughter is demon-possessed. So this phrase, son of David, is a messianic title. And it goes all the way back to Genesis. Remember when Jacob was blessing Judah. He said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, meaning speaking of Jesus. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Speaking of Christ. And certainly speaking of of the one who would come uh, before Christ, and that would be David. In fact, remember in 2 Samuel... God gave to David a covenant. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed, singular. I will set up your seed after you, speaking of Christ, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build me a house for my name and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son, but my mercy going on here, I will, well, I will, will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. And your house, your kingdom shall be established forever. Your kingdom, your throne shall be established forever. So he's speaking way beyond Solomon, he's speaking of this son of David. In Micah uh, 5, verse 2, But Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler. Speaking of Jesus again. And then finally, tying it all up, in Matthew chapter 1, we have a genealogy. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Jesus and David, from Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, Down to David, the son of David, and the psalmist called him his Lord, and yet he was his God as well. The son of David; others had called Jesus the son of David. There was a man, uh, an angel, actually speaking to Joseph in Matthew chapter one. It says, "But while he thought about putting Mary away because she was pregnant before they were actually they consummated their marriage, she was pregnant and." He was thinking about putting her away, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. And so the angel is trying to get his attention, son of David. And that should have shocked Joseph. It should have woke him up. Hey, what's happening here is way beyond you, sir. This thing that's in, your, in Mary's womb, this holy child, is the son of David. Two blind men in Matthew 9 followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then another time, Have mercy on us, O son of David. So the fact that this woman was using this title showed that she had some understanding of who Jesus was. And notice, she she did all of this in, in trying to get his attention because her daughter was severely demon possessed. Yes, people can be possessed by a demon or demons, plural. Anybody here possessed by a demon? Hope not. Well, if you're here, we got to pray for you. <laughs> right? But it's not just something we see in the movies, folks. This is real stuff. I suspect that many mental institutions, there are people trying to control with medications, individuals, some of them truly mentally unstable, and others, I believe, who are literally possessed by demons. I remember Pastor Jeff gave this story, and I'll never forget it. He went up to the R-Wing in Rochester General, and I hope I get the story right. But he was a pastor, obviously, and he walks in, and he's got his Bible, and this guy comes right up to him, and right up to his face, like, you know, that uncomfortable thing where you're trying to back up? And he comes up and he goes, who's this knocking on my door? Is it Jesus? Right, but, but in a mocking way, right? The guy, he'd never seen him before. Could there be demon possession? Yes. But true believers cannot be demon possessed because there's already a spirit in you, right? The Holy Spirit. And no one is more powerful than the Holy Spirit, amen? So you've got nothing to worry about if you're a child of God. But if you're not a child of God, I would be a little more concerned because you may not be possessed in the sense of, you know, Linda Blair and The Exorcist in the movie that we saw back in the 70s or whatever it was. Wouldn't recommend watching it, by the way. I think that movie was instrumental in bringing me to Christ a little bit. Because after seeing it, I I couldn't sleep for weeks. (laughs) But I didn't know God either. But I cried out to him because I was scared out of my mind. But there's no fear in love. When When the perfect love, the Spirit of God, comes and takes residence in you, you've got nothing to worry about. And why is that? I, I, like, I love what John says. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But this woman had a daughter who was possessed by a devil. And but he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. Boy, these guys are real ministers of God, aren't they? She's really getting on our nerves, Lord. Would you send her away? Tell her to Be quiet. And I'm glad these things weren't deleted from the biblical record. I'm glad that these things, the Bible wasn't sanitized in that regard. Because it sounds like me sometimes. And it sounds like you sometimes, doesn't it? Have you ever made that confession? You're around somebody. They could even be a person who loves the Lord. But for some reason, they just really drive you nuts. And it's just their personality. But can you love them? Can you... Bear with them. I mean, they may not be your best friend, and that's okay, but you know what? Even when they're sitting all alone in the fellowship hall, will you go and sit and just have a five or ten-minute conversation? Then Excuse yourself and move around. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So although Jesus is the Savior of the world, the world, right, his mission was first to minister to the house of Israel. So, Israel, the Jewish people, would be a kind of first fruits. Um, it would be because it was them that the Lord came through. It was through the Jewish line that the Messiah came. It was to them that the oracles of God were given to them. It was to them, the Jewish prophets, that, that the Lord would speak through. So, to them first and then to the Gentiles. There's an order there, right? And Jesus knew he prepared his disciples to minister to the Jews and to the Gentiles after his death and resurrection and ascension. But Peter would primarily minister to the Jews, and Paul, we know, would minister to the Gentiles. But they were ministers to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Even in Romans, what does it tell us? Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, meaning for the Gentile." In Romans chapter 2, speaking of the unsaved man, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good for Who who doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil notice of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Aren't you glad? And that's why God is visiting this Syrophoenician woman up in Tyre and Sidon. You and I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. I would love to find out and go back, you know, the person who led you to Christ. Well, who led them to Christ? And who led them to Christ? It would all go back, folks, to the apostles you realize that and we are the beneficiaries of that we are the you know that wonderful thing that god has done so she came and she worshiped him notice verse 25 saying lord help me help me i use those words a lot these days sometimes it's just help because help me is two words and one word will suffice, <laughs> help. Have you ever cried out for help? It seems like I'm doing that more often every day now than before. I, I just I can't handle everything that's going on. I can't take in everything that's happening. I can't fathom and, and process all this stuff that's going on around us. More often than not, I'm just saying, Lord, help me like this woman but the persistence of this woman is to be commended. Her need was great, very desperate. She seems, you know, God always responds, like I said, to desperation and bankruptcy. When you're feeling bankrupt spiritually, He always comes to your aid. How often are we that persistent? Are we persistent when we come to the Lord in prayer? Are we really believing? Are we persistent? I think it can be true of myself and maybe for some of you that I give up too easily. I throw in the towel too quickly and too easily. But I also have to remember that God is not a genie in the bottle. And many Christians treat him that way, like a genie in a bottle. You got three wishes. What are they? He's not a genie in a bottle. He's so much better. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way because you can always come to him even after three wishes. You can always come to the Lord. He's not like other people. When you don't deserve it, you know you don't deserve it. Sometimes that's when the Lord blesses you, when you feel at your worst. I've experienced that myself. Days that I have felt like this woman, so helpless, being so downcast, And crying out to the Lord, and that very day, he does something that just blows my mind. And then I just, I'm a pile of mush. Because I cry out to him, and I'm like, Lord, I don't don't get you. I I can understand now why Peter said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Because I don't deserve what you just did. I don't, I could never deserve it. but God is not a genie in a bottle. In Luke chapter 18, there was a parable of a persistent widow, and I see this woman very similar to this. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man, and there was also a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me by my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, and here is what we were looking at earlier, "'Though I do not fear God nor regard man, "'yet because this widow troubles me, "'I will avenge her, lest her continual coming she weary me. "'And the Lord said, "'Hear what the unjust judge says, "'and shall not God avenge his own elect "'who cry out day and night to him? "'Though he bears long with them, "'I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. "'Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, "'will he really find faith on the earth?' You know, do we have faith like this woman being persistent in prayer? Not just praying once and then giving up. If it doesn't happen by 4 o'clock, I'm done. Then I'm going to do my own thing. Have you ever done that? If, we've done it. All of us have done it. We, we've cried out to God. And if he doesn't respond in our time frame, then we do plan B, the second best thing. It's not the first best. We'll do our own thing. And then we find out that it really wasn't the best thing. And God's just like, you know, if you just could have waited a little bit, I would have done something that would have meant a lot more to you. And it would have grown your faith. So do we pray in faith? Do we believe God hears us? Do we grow impatient when when we have to wait for an answer? In Matthew 7, Jesus said, ask, literally, beg. We don't really need to beg for God, but, you know, ask. Keep asking, Keep seeking and keep knocking, and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And that's really what this woman is doing. She's knocking. Lord, help me. And she's not just giving up, because Jesus kind of put her off a little bit. And we'll look at that. But Matthew, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? And so she's coming and she's asking. When's the last time you really asked the Lord for anything? Or did you just run to your credit card and, and, and fix it? That's what we do in America. But we're also to be patient. In Psalm 27, a psalm of David, he says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Just be patient. We have been brought up in America that everything's got to happen fast. We've got fast food, we've got fast transactions, fast cars, fast technology. It's just not in our DNA to be patient. We want it now. We want it our way right away at McDonald's, right? We want it our way, right? Or is it Burger King? I forget. It doesn't really matter. And yet, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, patience, or long-suffering, and that's something that God's working in us. But notice in verse 26 back in our text, but he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So when Jesus says this, you're immediately shocked by his response, aren't you? But when Jesus says this, he's referring to the Jewish people as the children, and the dogs, he is referring to the Gentiles. But. This is where some help from the original language helps out because the word dogs there is literally a puppy, not a, a, a dog that's running wild. This is a house animal that you endear, that you love. You know, the kind of dogs that underneath the table at, at Thanksgiving, you know, you're feeding a drumstick and nobody's seeing it. That's the kind of dog he's talking about, right? Right? And you'll see the picture here in just a minute. So when he uses this term for dogs, he's referring to like a household pet. He's not degrading her. He's not showing uh, her uh, any disrespect, but he is showing her that his ministry to the Jews must be first and foremost. And God is not a respecter of persons, even though it appears that he is. But his, his role, his design was to minister to the Jews first. The Gentiles would get their due, they would be ministered to, but there was an order of things. God is all about order, like husbands and wives, the roles of a husband and wife. Yes, the, hu- the wife can sometimes do a better job than the husband, but God has called the husband to lead the home. And he said, and she said, yes, Lord, Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And I love this, this humility of this woman because she's not even attempting to imply that the Jews, the children, should not receive anything. No, she's like, no, they should receive it. But when they drop the crumbs or when they feed under the table, even, even, even the little dogs, even the, even the puppies in the house, they get the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And so the humility here of the woman that takes faith, too, doesn't it? It takes faith to realize that, hey, I'm not all that. The universe doesn't revolve around me. God has a plan, and he's going to get to me. I'm, I'm in his plan. But his initial plan was to reach the Jews. A similar heart of faith and attitude we see in a Roman centurion In Matthew chapter 8, it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my master is lying home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Again, another Gentile man, a Roman soldier. His servant is dying. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And then when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. No, not even in Israel. And isn't that humbling? When the Jews were the ones it was all wrapped up in. It began with them. They should have been the ones to be totally faithful and the Gentiles would be the ones that weren't so faithful. But isn't it true that life is a lot like that? The one who it's really for misses it. And someone else really gets it. That's what happened with the Jews, unfortunately. They rejected Christ, but the Gentiles got it. Our Messiah, you know, the Savior of the world. We got it. And now the Gentiles are going to provoke the Jews to be saved because of our relationship with Christ. It should have been the other way around, but it wasn't. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So Jesus, verse 28 Answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. And this word for woman is a term of endearment. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desired. Her daughter was healed that very hour. This word woman is the same word, the same Greek word that is used. Remember in John chapter 2 when at the marriage of Cana, when they ran out of wine? And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have said to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The same word here, it's guinea. It's it's the Hebrew word guinea, and it's a term of endearment. So he's not degrading the woman. He has great respect for people, for, for women. But again, there's an order, isn't there? The Jew first and then the Gentiles. So he wasn't being cruel. So verse 29, Jesus departed from there and skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on a mountain and sat down there. So Jesus departed from this area that I showed you earlier, up in the northern part of Israel, up into modern day Lebanon. He skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Now Jesus departed from Tyre and Sidon, and according to Mark's gospel, and see this is where it's important that you read the parallel account of these gospel. Messages. Because I discovered something in, in my doing this this week that I'm going to have to make a correction for you on something I shared with you many months ago, many weeks ago. But he departed, and but Mark's gospel in this same parallel account said something different. And this is really interesting. It says again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. So Decapolis is this area on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, all this area here is Decapolis. These were 10 cities, 10 Roman cities, and there is only one of those cities, one of those 10 cities that is actually on the western side of the Jordan River, and it's Bethshan or Scythopolis. It's down, down here a little ways. It's the only one. That is on the western side of the Jordan River. Everything else is over on the eastern side. This is all Gentile territory. So what Jesus did is he went from this area from Capernaum. He goes over and then up north to Tyre and Sidon, and then he has this encounter with this woman that we just talked about. And now he's going to go. Uh, now he's going to go east, and he's going to go back down through this area of Decapolis, and this is where we. Meet right at this moment. And so great multitudes, it says verse 30, came to him having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others, and they, lay, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet. And notice, he healed them. And perhaps the reason this is included in Matthew's gospel is again to show that he is the Messiah, because only the Messiah can heal and do these things that he's doing. The Jews knew that. even John the Baptist, had to be reminded of who Jesus was. Do you remember in uh, Matthew chapter 11, it says, When John heard about in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. He says, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John, obviously getting very frustrated, and Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and the things that you see, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And Jesus' ministry had been prophesied for hundreds of years prior to that. We know this in Isaiah, chapter 35. What does it say in Matthew? uh, What did I do here? Let me see. Yeah, there we go. In Isaiah 35, what does it say? Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Isaiah speaking 700 years prior to Christ, speaking of a time, believe it or not, even yet future to us in the millennial reign. And that was Christ's ministry, to heal, to open the eyes of the blind, to heal, open the ears of the deaf, open the eyes of those who couldn't see, and preach the gospel to them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking and maim made whole, the lame walking, the blind sing, and they glorified the God of Israel. By using this phrase, God of Israel, it seems to indicate that Jesus was indeed speaking to Gentiles here. Because the Jews wouldn't really refer to them, their own God, as the God of Israel. It's speaking of the God of Israel. We like the God of Israel, (laughs) right? And I do too. Now, as we get into this next section in uh, chapter 32, or verse 32, I believe it is, it's speaking of the feeding of the 4,000. And there are those who try to make these two miracles one miracle, and that they're just kind of you know, variations on the one miracle. But one only needs to read Matthew 16 to clear all of this up. And can you believe this? These are actually biblical scholars Thinking that these are, this is, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000, that these were one event somehow. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 6, notice, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we've taken no bread? And Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. He says, Do you not yet understand or remember? Now pay attention to this. Do you not remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up? That seals it for me. I don't care what anybody else says. That's what Jesus said. Two separate events. So who are you going to believe? And this is a a good thing for us to really examine because we tend to put education on a high plane. But don't put somebody, regardless of how many PhDs they got after their name, nothing against education, okay, but there's a point where your education can blind you to the truth. And this is one simple example. Believe God, not so much anyone else. (laughs) Doesn't matter how smart they are, how many pedigrees they have. They can swim circles around me intellectually, but yet I've got more understanding than they do. Because I know God and I know His Word, and so do you. Right? So be encouraged. So remember, as, as we're thinking about this feeding of the 4,000, remember back in chapter 14, Jesus fed 5,000 near Bethsaida. And remember, Bethsaida was this place on the Uh, eastern shore of of the Galilee, and this is where Jesus fed those 5,000. It's also where he ultimately walked across on water, and they ended up landing somewhere over in this area of Gennesaret. And it was from Gennesaret, or Capernaum, that Jesus would go from there. In chapter 15, he would go up to Tyre and Sidon, the, the things that we just were talking about. Now, I bring this up for a reason because... This feeding of the 4,000 plus people, that was just men, there was women and children making this a lot more than that, it took place after further examination, it took place on the same side of the lake. You remember when we went through the 5,000 that I had a, a diagram up here on the screen where... There was um, that the feeding of the five thousand took over here, and then the feeding of the four thousand took over here. But after looking at this much more carefully, I've I've decided I've changed my mind because of what the scripture says. And I've seen diagrams where it puts, you know, the the feeding of the four. Now this is not a big deal for you. You're going, why are you making a big deal out of this? Well, it's a learning thing, isn't it? Because once I read the scripture and I compare it. With the other parallel accounts, I get a lot more understanding. And I think you'll see it too as we go. And, and, and it's good because it helps me understand everything a little better. And it, and it changes my attitude, my, the way I think about things. And so it is important to look that carefully. And there's two scriptures that really hinged it for me. And let me just show you what they are. In Mark chapter 7, verse 31, it's the parallel account to this. It says this, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Okay? And I showed you that picture earlier where he he was up, he went to Tyre and Sidon and then went over and then came down through Decapolis there on the eastern side of the Galilee. And then it says, notice, to the Sea of Galilee. So somewhere along the coast there, and this uh, person has this feeding of the 5,000 being somewhere, or the 4,000, excuse me, being down here somewhere. And so I made a a new diagram. (laughs) And this just helped me to understand it. So we got the feeding of the 5,000 up north and then the feeding of the 4. And then there's one other verse that clinched it for me, and it's in Matthew chapter 15, verse 39, as we will get to. It says, and he sent them away sent away the multitude after this feeding of the 4,000 and came to the region of Magdala. Now, Magdala is this area right over here. Uh, For those of you who have been to Israel with us, Naf Ginnasar is right next door to it. You can literally look outside of your hotel window and see Magdala. And it's nothing but ground. There's no building on it, at least there wasn't a few years ago. And that's where Mary Magdalene was born. That's Magdala. That's where Jesus, after he left on the other side of the lake, after feeding the 4,000, he takes a boat over. And so just comparing Scripture to Scripture, it corrected my error. And so how important is reading the Scripture? It helps me understand it because the Jews... He ministered to the Jews up feeding the 5,000, but now he's ministering to predominantly Gentiles over here in Decapolis because they all came out to him there by the shore. So let's go on here in verse 32. We'll just go through this quickly because we've already looked at the feeding of the 5,000 and the significance of him feeding them bread in the desert. What happened back in the exodus? When God brought them out of Egypt and 40 years in the desert, what did he feed them with? Manna, the bread from heaven. And so Jesus, again, is showing that he is God in the flesh, providing them their sustenance through the desert, the bread and the water, the manna. Now verse 32, now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued now with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Does Jesus care for you? Does he care even about what you're eating and how you eat and when you eat? Is he compassionate? Does he understand? I think we need to be that way too, right? I'm more willing to give somebody who's out in the street, I'm more willing to give them food than I am to give them money because giving them food they can eat the food but if i give them money and i've seen this firsthand so many times they're buying drugs they're buying alcohol they're buying crack cocaine and sometimes and they're even tricky today you give them food they'll barter the food for crack so it's like how do you what do you do you, you know the thing is just be led by the lord just be led by the lord So his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Now they had just, not too long ago, had seen the miracle of the 5,000, right? (laughs) Jesus said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they're like, okay, I understand, I get it now. And they said seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, not five loaves and two fish. These are seven loaves now, two totally different events. He gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. And so they all ate and were filled and took up seven large baskets full full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, and he sent the multitude away, and he got into the boat, and here is the verse that changed my mind, and came to the region of Magdala, in, uh, in uh, Mark's Gospel, it tells us Delmanutha, which is another name for this place called Magdala. Now, it could be, there, there's also another place up here that might be Delmanutha, but either way, he came from over here and went to one of these two locations, but I believe it's this area right here, Magdala, also named Delmanutha, Re- really not a big deal, but, um, but just, it's, it's amazing, um, how the Lord does this. And again, this miracle, although with the details slightly different than Matthew 14. And you know, all of this is really encouraging to me as we prepare ourselves to take communion. The worship team can go ahead and come on up. It's just encouraging to me this whole section of Scripture, verses 21 through 39, that we've looked at, is just the Lord's way of reaching Gentiles. It seems very obvious to me. He's reaching a Canaanite woman, ministering to her, going out of his country. His disciples are going, what are you doing? You're supposed to be ministering to the Jews. And even Jesus said that. And that's the puzzling thing, is he goes all the way up there. We don't know all what he did up in Tyre and Sidon. But while he's up there, he's speaking to this woman. She's saying, Lord, help me. And he goes, well, it's not right for me to give you know, the bread to the dogs. I've come to, for the house of Israel first. But yet... Her pleading was so irresistible to the heart of the Savior. He couldn't resist not helping. And then he goes from there all the way over to Decapolis, Roman cities, Gentiles, ministering to them. Before he finally comes back and takes the boat across the lake back over to Magdala where the Jews were. Because see, the people on the other side of the lake, they were unclean. (laughs) <laughs> they were Gentiles. That's the way the Jews looked at them. They even called them dogs. But aren't you glad that God doesn't call you, He doesn't see you as a dog? Even a household puppy. He doesn't see you as an animal, He doesn't see you as a second class citizen. No, by, by faith, we now have entered into the faith with Abraham who believed God and he counted it to him for righteousness. And you and I are heirs, in a sense, of Abraham because of the faith that he demonstrated. Isn't God a compassionate God? And we are here today because of this ministry, at least part of it. And the disciples caught it. And then Paul, later on, would catch it and he would go out and do the same thing. And here's the thing before we take communion is we need to do the same, folks. As we, ha- we are here because we have been ministered to, going all the way back, now it's our turn. And this has been going on for nearly two millennia because there's a, a people out there your friends, some of your family, your co-workers that have no idea, they are, they are going to hell. And you have the answer. You have the remedy for that ailment that there's no cure for except for faith in Christ. And only we can give it. God has chosen you and I to go out from this place. And I pray that you take it seriously. I need to take it more seriously. Even when I'm at Wegmans, you know, you don't have to be annoying. Just a few words can, can suffice. Be light. Someone said once that share the gospel and when necessary, use words. And I like that because my actions, the way I treat people, is either going to repel them or it's going to invite them. And I have to ask myself the question, what kind of person am I? Am I the kind that says, well, you're a dog? <laughs> or are you one of the children at the table? Well, God sees everybody now differently. They're all candidates for salvation. We do too. We, should look at, we shouldn't look at, on anybody as unclean or look at anybody too far gone for salvation. Some of the most wicked criminals have given their hearts to Christ. Think of it. Nebuchadnezzar. He's in glory. Have you read Daniel 4? His own testimony of God? So how important is it for us to go out and live the life? I want to encourage you with me to go out and live the life. Invite people. Invite your neighbors. Invite your friends and bring them to church. Let them, at the very least, bring them into your homes. Have dinner with them. Talk to them about the gospel. For some reason, we've lost this in America, we don't do this. We live next, next door to somebody that we haven't talked to ever since they moved in 14 years ago. Do you know anybody who lives next to you that you've never talked to? Or you've never invited them over for a coffee or lunch or dinner? You have no idea who they really are, and they feel the same way about you. And you know what? It's time, church, that we break that mold because that's the way God would have us to do it. We need to be the most outgoing, friendly people to a world that's living in darkness. Will you be that person to have the courage to go out and speak the truth and love to people? Pray, and then go and do it. Invite them. Invite them into your homes. Let's invite each other over... You know, when COVID happened, everything cut off. And we're very comfortable with that now, it seems. And it shouldn't be that way. We need to get back to where we used to be, where we were fellowshipping with one another. We were inviting people. Invite them to church. Do you like being here? I I assume you do, because you're here. Then bring somebody with you. Because they need to hear what I'm sharing with you. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the word of God. They don't need to hear me. They need to hear this, the word of God. So let's be about our father's business and let's continue to fulfill that great commission that Jesus told us in Matthew 28, right? Go into all nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Are we doing that? Am I doing that? Lord, give us that grace to do that again. And to get into a holy habit, a holy habit of inviting people in to our homes, bringing them to church. It's so important. Lord, we just thank you for this time together, and I pray that as we uh, just ponder these things, that Lord, you'd prepare our hearts to take the elements, Lord, the bread that was of your body, symbolic of your body that was broken and the juice, Lord. Symbolic of the blood, the holy blood, the blood of God that was shed for us. Lord, would you please bless us now? Amen. As the worship team worships and as we worship with them, feel free to just come on up and help yourself and then bring it back to your seat and we'll take it together, okay? Yes, Lord, we do lay our burdens at your feet. and Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, encourage our hearts. Lord, grant us an even greater faith in you. Paul, in Corinthians 11, uh, he said this. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's partake. And notice, in the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So let's take the the cup. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, Lord, just like this um, very desperate Gentile woman. Lord, I'm desperate for you, and I know that I am not alone in this room. Lord, there are things that I don't understand, things that I can't fathom, things that I don't even, I, I can't understand. But Lord, we trust you, and I trust you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to build that trust and that you would build our faith, Lord. Not in any man-made thing, but it would strictly be upon what you have said. Lord, to build upon the foundation which has already been laid for us, the foundation of Christ. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters and for myself today, Lord, that we would continue to grow in faith, in love, that we would grow and mature as believers in Christ, Lord, and and be those representatives, those examples to our families especially. Lord, I have this ability to be nice to everyone and be harder on my family. And I know that I'm not alone. So Lord, help us to love those who we love the most, to treat them, the way you would have us to, and also to treat those outside of the family of God. Lord, the unlovable, even the the hateful, even those who we just detest because of their actions. Lord, help us to love them too. Not dismissing it, not sidestepping it, but loving them in spite of it. Lord, this is a a tall order that I can't do in my natural flesh, Lord. It has to be from you. And so I pray that you do that in me and my brothers and sisters too. Lord, make us those ambassadors, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.